Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, rugby fans, to another great episode of the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. My name is Ty Braga, your host for today's activities, alongside Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott the Big Guy Ferrara, and of course, joining us for the first time, our guest ranter, we have Derek Bressard from the Rouge Podcast Show. Derek, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's uh, great to be here. I'm looking forward to it. And Ty, I must say, I like your background much better than when you came on our show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, I see a couple arrows logos back there. The arrows aren't losing. Um, Rob, your background, that painting is still sweet. I like the balls. I never had any complaints about yours, but... Glad to see that. At least I don't have to watch the arrows lose on this podcast. We we all love Rob's balls, by the way. Especially Mrs. Hammer. She loves the balls. (laughs) And so it begins, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Rugby Rant Podcast Show, where we, of course, put these gentlemen to the test to be able to debate the topics at hand. And today, how does it work? Like usual, they each have two minutes to be able to rant about the topic. And today, we're going to ask them about how can the ML improve the revenue streams that currently exist and how can they explore new options to be able to of course find a better platform to be able to build on in seasons to come now if they do go over their two minutes they will receive what we like to be able to call the cheese that is a yellow card for going over their allotted two minutes and that will be their first offense if they do so more than once they'll get the red and they're in the sin bin and they'll stand out for the next round in the debate so now that we know the rules and these gentlemen, of course, are ready to battle. We're going to find out who's up first. And in fact, I'd like to be able to share the floor with uh, my colleague, Rob, who has a special message to be able to share. So, Rob, you start us off on this rant and tell us what you want to share. Thanks. Uh, last month, uh, during the month of September, we were honored. Chance uh gave us a jersey signed, and we really wanted to promote um mental health. We wanted to make people aware of suicide, um, you know, uh, awareness month. And so uh, in the month of October, we're stepping it up. Um, we partnered with, of course, uh, the, um, there it is. It's coming up. The rugby we, shop, of course. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the rugbyshop.com. And we partnered with them to bring about a breast cancer awareness uh, t-shirt. We actually have three to choose from. And uh, we've chosen those based upon uh, our feedback from you guys uh, out there, the fans of the rugby rant. And basically we want to, during the month of October, really push uh, that the fact that the sale of these t-shirts, 10% of it goes to the Susan G. Komen Foundation to help 
uh, raise awareness for breast cancer. So to all the mother ruggers out there and the sister ruggers and uh, all the ladies in our life, um, get the help that they need, the support they need through the philanthropic endeavors and the foundation of uh, the Susan G. Komen. So right. uh, we're delighted to be able to share this opportunity with the, uh, the shot.com well, and thanks encourage everybody to go um, so that'll be going until the end of October, just to be able to let everybody know, uh, you know, we like to be able to make sure that we, we can give back and we thank you very much for, for participating, but more to the point here, as it stands, we need to be able to find out what your thoughts are, Rob, when it comes to the revenue streams for MLR, how can it be improved? So let's go ahead and offer you your two minutes. Okay. So, uh, I did a little bit of research and, and I found out that the rugby United marketing is actually a commercial endeavor for, uh, a for-profit entity for the MLR. And their job is twofold. They negotiate future commercial deals um, with private partners and um, sell equity in the league to future investors. This is obviously a huge opportunity and revenue stream. Although oddly enough, much like a lot of the things in the MLR, we haven't heard a lot about it. So it was developed in 2019. We don't know much about where it's at right now. Uh, but this comes from sportsbusiness.com. Um, it was uh, August 9th uh, of 2019 that it came out. So check it out yourself. It's a really interesting article. Several areas of opportunity here for them to to focus on. Secure corporate partners. Look for national partners uh, that really work with rugby. Obviously, beer, like nutrition, insurance. International investors. We know that some of the teams, such as uh, OGDC, as Scotland, NOLA's connected with with Claremont, Rooney connected with Stade Fronts. So we know that these are opportunities to get more revenue streams into the MLR. And of course, there needs to be marketing. And I really think we need to focus marketing in terms of corporate sponsorship on finding and connecting with the expat community, right? We know, for example, in Rooney, uh, they have a strong connection with the expat community, the Irish expat community uh, there in Rooney, but there are other opportunities available too. And I think we need to expand those as a league. Uh, Obviously, TV viewership is important. Right. Currently, they're playing for paying for broadcast rights, but that needs to be flipped and we need really to work on that. And I think the biggest thing is getting ESPN to announce their schedule early. But a lot of this asses in the seats. We've always said this. It's going to depend on teams. They need to focus on ticket sales. They need to grow rugby in their communities and find a way to connect with the local communities. Yeah, a lot of fans. How's that for dropping the hammer rather than getting hot? Well, uh, you know what, gentlemen, let me introduce you to my new sophisticated system. I came prepared with what I thought would achieve new points. And uh, Rob, you got three. Hey, there we go. (laughs) But you were first up, so it was easy. Um, (laughs) But I want to circle back around. So you said that, you know, you you spoke about partnerships with uh, OG, uh, Old Glory being connected to the Scottish Rugby Union, you know, well, let's just stop there for a moment and think about that example. You spoke about that having the opportunity to be able to develop revenue streams. I mean, I recognize that it's a strategic partnership, but how do you leverage that to be able to create revenue? Oh, well, I think that the, you connect with uh, the fans and the people, for example, in OG, you connect with Scotland, you try to bring, you know, through your TV partnerships or other mechanisms, you try to connect with the, the fans in Europe. Um, obviously, the south of France and, okay. and France so is a strong rugby. Broader rugby community. Broader rugby communities, exactly. Okay. All right. I get you. Absolutely. Okay. Now I better understand that point. Let's swing it back over to uh, Scott Ferrara, the big guy. Let's see what the weather's like over there. What is it? Let's get hot, baby. You got the big guy, got the big guy today. 
Uh, he's fired up. So what Rob was trying to say was what they need to do is, is in having those partnerships is they need to have Scotland, the, the Scotland teams come over here and old glory go over there and you sell tickets and you sell travel packages and you put it on maybe Facebook live for free and, or you do your own subscription thing uh, to, to five bucks to see this match against, you know, whoever um, New England free Jacks did it with the Cara cup where they had a lot of uh, the a side squads come, come over from Ireland. I think they played like a, you know, four or five match tournament. Um, and that was something, another the, the part of the revenue stream for five bucks. You should be able to watch the whole tournament. Everybody can, you know, at me, even as not as a person who hates the free Jacks would watch the matches <laughs> because I want to support the MLR. Um, but speaking of revenue streams, I think we have to go digital. I think we have to say um, ESPN, while it's cheap, doesn't seem to be giving us what we want or need as rugby fans. Maybe we have to find a way to do this better. Maybe it has to be through the MLR itself. Maybe the MLR has to figure out the production to do this digitally through the internet. Um, I know that's going to be a greater expense. But again, if you told me that MLR is going to bring you better content through their matches for $10 a month, me as an MLR fan would be willing to pay that to see a better production to make sure that the scheduled matches are there, you know, before the season and not the day before a match. Um, I think we spoke about it before. I think MLR and teams have to do other things. They have to set up special tournaments. They have to set up sevens tournaments. They have to set up things where they can say, again, $5 to watch you know, uh, we, we put, we, 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 we took four Rooney players. We made them, um, each a sevens coach and they're just going to play around ramen tournament real quick. And we're going to have, um, some other players there for interviews. We're going to have celebrity guests, things like that. Again, five bucks a shot. Isn't bad. We can get it done. Okay. So you were three seconds over. I'll allow it, <laughs> but let's go rewind. Okay. So you spoke about, um, so when Rooney may go overseas and play a game or Glory may play a game, that can be leveraged to be able to use your existing fan support here and also grow support overseas. So the idea would be that you would gain fans there who would want to be able to watch it this side and fans here would want to be able to watch the game that side. But you're asking them to pay to do that. So you want to put it behind a paywall. So my criticism would be, and this also led in, into your, your digital platforms and yes, Absolutely. You need to leverage the tools that we have available. Technology has made it so much easier. A lot of the stuff can be automated and it can end up reducing costs. So that's a point there. More to my point of what I wanted to be able to offer as a criticism to that is asking people to pay for something means you're most likely going to have a, your most loyal support, your most engaged fans, which is the smallest percentage. So what does it do to grow it when you put it behind a paywall and you well, want at, people at, to do it? At, at five bucks, $10 a, a month or whatever it is. I mean, that's when you bring your friends to the pig and whistle on 36th street, shout out to Cormac um, to, to watch that. I mean, that's what we do for the away matches right now. We have our watch parties, right? Have a watch party. Have Rooney throw the watch party when they go play, go uh, and they go play a team in Cork. Maybe they right. go play Dolphin in Cork, and they have a big watch party. And they get and they 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 can get new fans to go and do it and and experience right. what it's like to do an away party at a minimal cost to the fan. But but my point is, we want to talk about what money can you be picking up right now? And in the in the era of COVID, when we might not be able to even watch uh, uh, live rugby in certain states. They have to be, this is the way forward. This is definitely the right. way forward. 
So I agree with you. Yes, you need to leverage the tools that you have available, especially during COVID. And especially if we can't have fans, let's imagine that is that's a possibility or the bubble exists. You know, broadcasting is going to become even more important than ever before. So a paid model might be your only option. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen, but it is a realistic uh, possibility if things don't get better. So, yeah. All right. Thank you for those points there. Um, let's hand it over to Derek. Let's see what you got. All right. So within the last calendar year, um, Major League Rugby has added George Killebrew as the new commissioner, as well as Mark Yates as the new chief commercial officer. And they grew a partnership with uh, Maestro Sports and Entertainment. Um, and I think when you kind of look at that, a clear goal is increasing sponsorship revenue. Um, and I think sponsorship is obviously it's one of the major ways that all professional sports leagues across, you know, whether you're something as successful as the NFL or you're just starting up like Major League Rugby, um, it's something that they all lean on for a major source of revenue. And I think when you look at Major League Rugby as a whole right now, it's like you can see that there is a lot of gaps where there could be sponsorship opportunities. Um, for one, not every team has a sponsor on their kit. Um, and there's a couple teams that have sponsors like I think San Diego has one on like their ribs or something instead of like a prominent display like on the front of the jersey um there's obviously a handful of teams that do have those um if you look at like say professional rugby like the big leagues in Europe or super rugby um the ball has become like that's an area of a sponsorship too there's a Guinness logo on the pro 14 ball and um you know things like that as well and obviously like referee kits on anything that you can put on the field as well as something that major league rugby can add to and, you know, a couple of the other things, though, is like I think teams, you as a team, you can kind of go out and create opportunities for yourself. And I look at the uh, something that the Toronto Arrows did this year where the Arrows became the first team to put out an injury report and like an official injury report on social media. And obviously an injury report is an awesome idea regardless to begin with. Um, it's a big key piece of information to give the fans and media. It's a common practice in every league. And I think every team should be doing that. But the Toronto Arrows also took that as a chance to actually have a sponsor, right? So their injury reports were brought to you by right. um, foundation physiotherapy. So the Arrows flip something that it's like, this is a common practice of like, you know, every other league in North America, NFL, NHL, NBA, WNBA, whatever, they all do injury reports. Right. And, so it's great to see that they started to put them out as well as Nola and the Free Jacks started to put yeah. theirs on out as well. But the Arrows also flipped that into an opportunity to actually make money by having that be a sponsored element. And I think, you know, you can kind of look at that and like, I think that might even tie into what Scott was saying about the digital and stuff. Think of like, what are you doing on social media, such as put out an injury report and then, yeah, see what you can do to uh, toss a sponsorship logo on that. There's lots of things out there that can be sponsored by the league. And I've recognized that what I'm saying is probably easier said than done, but oh, it's creeping. Yeah, he got shown the cheese. <laughs> shown the cheese. My question would be, so it'll be the NOLA injury report sponsored by Preparation H or what, what like what <laughs> kind of sponsor? And that's how like, it's limited. You are, they are sponsored by Tulane uh, Orthopedics. So no, I, I know, you know they've already got a natural sponsor. I think, nice try though. Now, I think, right, I think most, most sponsorship that would have to be people's physio and, 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 you know, yeah. stuff like that. But, 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 right. but Derek hits on a great point because that, that's what I was saying before, you know, now you're leaving, there's not only the national corporate sponsorships for the league as a whole, but there, the, the teams have to think about what are the natural partnerships that are there. And one of the ones I think is undersold is universities. Like, 
No, and I only say NOLA, but but New York has a, a tremendous opportunity with NYU. Get universities to do some sponsorship. I mean, you're if right. you're going to go digital, you want to sell to a younger crowd. Those are the people that are going to be attending college. I like that. There's merit in that because rugby is Otago does it prevalent in 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 college sports and is yeah. the fastest female college sport that is now growing and is supported by the NCAA and is supported by you know. So yeah, I mean that's a great avenue. Um, I like that point. In fact, Rob, I'm going to give you an extra point just for that specific <laughs> add-on. I am. But I wanted to be able to readdress some of the points that Derek had made before he got the cheese. Um, <laughs> it's all good. It's uh, you know what? That's a, that was a good. I feel like that's like a preventing a try yellow though. I feel like yeah, okay. it's the professional file. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was like that was uh, that saved five. It was. Points. It was no. It was a time wasting. Okay, so <laughs> here we go. So a couple of things that you had spoken about, and yes, there were some really really great points inside there. One of which was the sponsorships for uh, the jerseys. So not every team does have a sponsor or a title sponsor. So you had mentioned, well, there's opportunity even to a smaller detail as the rugby ball itself. Now, the rugby ball is actually sponsored by Rhino Rugby. So they know that that's they're providing all the balls there. Yeah. It doesn't mean that there couldn't be an opportunity to have space on that still. So I like the creative thinking. But the real well, at least we're not talking yeah. about my balls this time. Everybody, Eric has a thing for balls. Um, <laughs> I, do, I, 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 I do like odd shaped balls. It's a thing. It's I'm weird. Um, so, but I, uh, I, let me let me let me let me let me get to the crux of of my point there. The so Honda for the jersey for the Toronto Arrows. By the way, again, thank you very much to the rugby shop. Um, so you got only. One, maybe two, BMW for San Diego is the other one there that are like a proper prominent jersey sponsors, right? And I think theirs is also on the sleeve, not even on the front. So where does it end? If you do that, do you start thinking about, okay, naming rights for the team? Do you start thinking about naming rights for the stadium? An example of this is Aviva Stadium for the Sabercats, right? They gave the naming rights. There's obviously an agreement there. They got a stadium out of it. So, yeah, sure. Will Utah Warriors consider this for their new project? So I guess the point is I'm trying to say sponsorship is good, but it's only as good as if somebody wants to pay for it. All right. So, yes, you can advertise all over to the point where it looks like a a NASCAR uh, vehicle that's, you know, got you almost can't see through the windscreen. You, You can do that, but it's not great but it's all about how many people will want to be able to pay for it. So I wanted to be able to throw that back to Derek to see what do you think there in that regard? Uh, well, one, I think you're right. Obviously like that's part of, I think why the league is bringing in guys like Killebrew and Yates who are um, like even the press release for when Yates was hired, literally called him the ultimate, uh, what was the quote? It was the ultimate sponsorship professional was what they referred to him in that press release. Um, so I think like, like that's what they do is like that's the kind of guys that you want is you want to be able to um tell people it's like hey this is the benefit of having your logo um within major league rugby or associated with a team um and i think like it is a good source of revenue but i think if you look at like like what rob kind of touched on there um earlier is like the arrows injury report sponsors a physiotherapy company yeah almost every single mlr team has is has some sort of partnership with a gym or a physiotherapist because you literally need it being a professional sports team. Um, so that's something that like, if you're already working together, you can maybe like work into that and find a way to, you know, generate some yeah. revenue 
with existing partnerships as well. Exactly. Work within your, your circle of influence, right? So well, that's a good point. And, 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 sorry, and um, even like to your other point too, with uh, the Rhino sponsorship with the ball, um, if you watch like, like Premiership and like Pro 14 and stuff, you'll see a Gilbert logo and a Guinness logo on a ball. Right. That's what I, yeah, I, I, I've seen the same thing. So I guess why I brought that point up is even though like somebody might've said, Oh, well, Rhino rugby is already sponsoring the balls. Well, they're the producer and they get the credit for such. It doesn't mean you still can't advertise on that. So yeah. for example, it would be like saying that, yes, my Jersey is made by Paladin. So you can't put anything else on it. <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Which I like, I don't think, I think that's the thing though, is like, if you, you kind of get those spawn, like, Obviously, like you said, and I kind of said it too, is like, it's easier said than done, right? It's like, yeah. I'm not expecting to be like, you know, with what I just said. Yeah, like, that's something people want to buy, right? And pay for. Yeah. Well, and you have to, you have to look at the other ways. And I think you have to look at what the other leagues are doing. I mean, in the premiership, when they, when they have a match and they're, and they're showing it, they have those digital on-field ads that, you know, they, right. they, they overlay on things. How come MOR isn't jumping on that? You know, so I mean, we, we had half be- a million. Half a million people watched the final in 2019. I mean, you know. In the broadcast at the the Raptors, they actually leveraged a lot of these little open spaces because one of the the downsides that rugby has over football in the U.S. is that, well, it's a really great marketable brand, but it's also got great advertising spaces, and that's what has made it such a profitable uh, product, right? Because there's a stop and start almost between every play. Rugby doesn't have that. So while it's its merit, it's also a downside because that means there's less opportunity to advertise. But there, there, then you need to be creative. As Scott so rightly pointed out, next to the uh, to the timer and next to the scoreline, you have a box that you could advertise inside there. You could also do it as a bar scrolling at the bottom. You can get creative. So absolutely. But I, and you I, know what? There's a, hold on one one more thing. There's there's one thing we were missing. And if you go back to our interview with Pete Steinberg. He was talking about how MLR, I believe he said MLR pushes all of the production of, of their matches to the teams. And, and while the teams get to pick and choose little things, it's mostly a production from the MLR. How come the MLR hasn't, or maybe they have, and they just haven't gotten a sponsor for it. The water break should be sponsored. This this first half water break is brought to you by the new Honda Civic, yada, yada, and I yada. It is because at the, well, at least for when I was uh, at the Raptors, um, we had that as well. So, no, and you, but I mean, I've seen it at the match, but you on the broadcast, I've never heard that before. I believe it was on their broadcast, but as you so rightly pointed out, everybody has the ability to run their own production. So maybe not everybody's doing it. So it definitely is an area that could be explored. In a a convo I've had with Tim Falcon, he's talked about it. I was actually shocked and surprised at how much availability for sponsorship there was during, during TV breaks or during the water timeout or, you know, even, you know, pre-production or post game. Um, And, and there's, there was quite the opportunity. Well, all of the sponsorship idea is, is, is premise. The premise needs to be that there's people who want to be able to buy it. So let's, Let's step away from sponsorship just for a moment, though, because we recognize its importance. We know there's plenty of opportunities. One thing that you had spoken about, and it came up a couple of times between Derek and Rob, is, well, the injury reports. Now, why this is important in other sports is because of sports betting. So I know that that uh, Scott has spoken about this in previous episodes, so let me hand it over to him to see what he thinks about that. 
Well, and and it's also there's also specific rules as far as like Derek was talking about the NFL, um, because of the severity of an injury, they don't they don't want you hiding the fact that a player might be injured. It's actually all it's also a player wellness issue. But because they do have this and it's collectively bargained to say, hey, we have yeah. these these injury reports, it it does go into um get into the the betting and wagering and sports betting. And I think that's something we need to 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 get a handle on. We need to get, you know, back in the in the fantasy rugby games. We need to get back in the pick'em games. I mean we had um Super Brew going through uh 2019. I think I yeah. was top three or four, I would say, in the Rooney group. I think I was like top ten overall. And unfortunately, you know, it wasn't it wasn't for money, but it was fun. And I think that's something as they're most, I would assume most MLR fans are also football fans. I would assume because they're football fans, most of them play fantasy football like the big guy does. It's something to do. It's something fun. And, and while the teams can't necessarily get in on it themselves, things like getting the injury report can push revenue in other directions. It's going to, but that, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that's a great place to go for the league. Well, I'm glad I got a bonus also, from you. Thank you. But I'm not giving them out. That guy up there is so the but but don't forget I think in order to do that effectively the league has to be better at data management. I mean all yeah, that stuff absolutely. depends upon data, you know, and, and and they don't they don't have that piece yet. And would it be wise to do that? Is that money well spent? Certainly it could be, but they don't have it. Yet. There's plenty of people wanting to be able to be involved, but yes, it's not only a benefit to be able to have these statistics shared with others for this purpose but but all of those that are reporting on it as well like to get stats as, as to, to to report on it to be able to share that information in the media uh, to be able to share it with scouts uh everywhere so there's a great benefit there i like that point there i think and, and the other thing is is in the nfl sorry derek and i'll let you go next real quick no the nfl if you screw up the injury report you get fined a lot of money right. so un- until until we decide what the rule is on an injury report if there's going to be a fine, whatever, whatever, you know, then we can go forward. So let me let me quick follow up, and I'm going to hand it over to Derek, though. But my question to you, Scott, then, because you understand this better than I do in in America, do you think that's feasible within the next year or two, or is this like a big no. picture plan? It's. I think it's a big picture plan. I think it goes into player wellness. And I think it'll have to be something that's collectively bargained right. for a union to come in and say, yeah. "This is the way we need to do it. This is the way it's going to be set up." Okay, right. Derek, your thoughts on this one. Yeah, like I was just saying, it's like I've had some conversations with like my friends that are like huge sports fans, but don't necessarily watch rugby. And I've asked a couple of them, like, what would get you into major league rugby? And they were like, first thing that a lot of them was like said was like, is there a fantasy league? And, you know, so it's like that is something that people do. And people will like, you know, I'm sure everybody here or everybody listening at some point has been roped into like some random work office pool for a sport or some event that you don't watch. Right. And that gets you to watch that event. So that's something that you can go down. But I also, one thing I did find interesting too, was I went to the MLR Vegas weekend and it was at the uh, Westgate hotel there. And that was apparently the biggest, um, like sports book in Las Vegas. And, they like you go down to the sports book and it's unreal. Like if you're a sports fan, just all the TVs and everything, it's an amazing thing to see. And it was kind of like, I don't know. I felt it was noticeable because I kind of looked at it. Also, you were there for the MLR Vegas weekend that you couldn't bet on major league rugby, but you can bet on like division two Turkish soccer, but you couldn't, 
I, I'm not first, making that up. I found that. You can bet on like Division Two Turkish soccer. First of all, I think we broke oh, news. In Edmonton League. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we just broke news. We found somebody who actually went to Vegas to watch those <laughs> matches. Holy crap. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, and I, apparently I mean, it likes Division Two yeah. Turkish soccer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, but okay, gentlemen, I'm going to give you a speed round here. Okay. So I've got something new to throw you away because mm. I got it down point. <laughs> Uh, uh, that I thought would so <laughs> That was weird. <laughs> that was creepy. <laughs> was he looking at me or you, Scott? I think he was looking at me. Okay. So uh, I'm going to throw a topic that I have here, and I want you to give me a solid point in response to it and uh, something we haven't, of course, addressed already as a revenue stream or potential at least. So let me start where the round began. Uh, so, Rob, when it comes to, let's pick one, travel fan packages, how can that be leveraged to help the league? Well, obviously, can part, I think teams can partner with um, hotel and with boards of tourism to actually, you know, develop those packages for a team like Seattle or Rooney or Toronto that are you know, for those fans that are coming in. It not only helps those those partners because now you're using like in NOLA, it's the hotel and casino down there. So now you got people not only staying in the hotel, but the restaurants, and then they're spending money in the casino. As we talk about betting, that's an obvious opportunity uh, for your for your partner um, that you've entered in, in into sponsorship agreement with to benefit in many different ways. Right. And some of those ways, well, recently, uh, the Rattlers just announced that they struck up a, a relationship with the uh, Hampton Inn and Suites, which is also the same one that was used for the Colorado Raptors, of course, when they existed. So what it meant is that you got to be able to bring a large group of fans that ordinarily wouldn't be there for that game to participate. And then all of the spinoff you're talking about is obviously great value as well. So, yes, absolutely. So a point deserved. <laughs> So let's hand it over to Scott. Let's see what I can swing your way. Um, fundraising events. I mean, I, th I think it's little things. And I, I talked about this with Rooney in 2019. I said something stupid like a 50-50 raffle. You know what? If you bring in, you have eight home matches, you, you bring in $200, $300, you have $2,500. Guess what? You can use that. And say, hey, we're gonna do this event for it. We're gonna we're gonna do that event for it. Sponsor it. The 50-50 raffle by, you know, what Magners, you know, and have Magners say, not only are we gonna do a 50-50 raffle, we're gonna double it. Things like right. that. And knowing that half of it's gonna go to you and the other half's gonna go to the league. And one of the other things, and then do this in the prem, and I've been part of it with some of the Saracens um organizations I've been with, is they actually sponsor players. So the Saris on tour says we're going to give the team $5,000 to go towards player welfare for this particular player. And every time you say their name and they score a try, you say, this is the Saris on tour sponsored player, you know, yada, yada, yada. That's something that we should be doing. I mean, that's, it's grassroots level. It's something that you can get like the rooster boosters can come together and we're going to, um, we're gonna we're gonna take some of the the onus off of paying for Connor Wallace Sims or something like that. You know, right? Well, I like that for a lot of different reasons, but it comes down to advertising value too. So when you're marketing another partner that you're you're working with, you know they're getting the advertising value inside that. You're getting revenue potential as well. Uh, you're drawing awareness to to a product, a service, whatever it is. So there's a lot of great value, but it kind of boils down to to two things: it can bring in money and it can offer advertising value. So yeah. 
Solid point there. Derek, let's see what I can swing your way. Let's give you yay or nay on the idea of increasing revenue potential to be for the MLR to be able to set up their own network, which might be a paid service. Ooh, um, that, that's an interesting, I think, I think, no, I feel like, no, um, like you mean, like, just to make sure I'm understanding the question, you mean to have like their own, like MLR TV and that's where we so, want games. Is that what we're getting at? Right. So let's imagine we end up with a package that can be put together of a nine week bubble conference, like a contest, and they need to sell this as a package. So one half of it could be, they could have this product to be able to sell the rights to be able to to somebody else or could they just set up their own platform streaming service which now everybody can it's not as hard as it used to be even two years ago or even a year ago it's a lot easier now to do it the technology exists where you can actually begin to take the money yourself on a five dollar subscription from the fans directly to you Okay. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of team or excuse me, there's a lot of leagues that do that. There's things like office, like NHL TV, NBA streaming service. Um, But I think the big distinction between those and what major league rugby is, is those sports are massive in our country already. And they all have like another way to watch the game. Right. So it's like, like the NHL like game center, they just take the feed off of uh, sports net or NBC or whoever's broadcasting the game. And it's just for like, I guess, people that are like cord cutting that don't want to pay for cable or whatever. Um, I think for major league rugby, I think major league rugby needs to be on or like, they're obviously covering a lot of the production costs and things like that. But I think in order to grow the sport, it needs to be on a platform that people will go to that aren't rugby fans and that can stumble across it and find it. Right. Like you need another reason to be going to the platform. Cause I think like if rugby, like say here in Canada, the uh, Toronto arrows games, they were on TSN, right? So you can pay for TSN, you get their streaming service, you get their cable package or, you know, dividing up, you can do half and half, however you wanted to pay. They have a bunch of different options for you but people go to tsn for any other sport right their hockey coverage their baseball coverage their football coverage etc and if you have and then they could see the arrows game on that platform while they're paying for it for something else so it increases the chance for you to stumble across it and that was something and that was something that like the arrows even did because um while well especially for now like while covid was happening tsn had like nothing to show because there was that gap and they were doing the reruns of the games yeah Yeah. exactly and they actually um approached the arrows with like hey cut up some games and give us some content because we need to put something on right and yeah there was arrows mlr games and they might have been during the day and stuff but that were on like a national tv channel Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's like and because it's on a national tv channel and i mean obviously during covid it's a little bit different but if you have something on tsn2 like that even like runs into hey you know a bar left uh, like the blue jays game on or something or the football game on or a hockey game If I may, just to be able to drill down to the bedrock that your point would be, it would be almost be counterproductive to be able to, again, put it behind a paywall because it's about exposure right now. It's about getting more people watching and learning about the game. Less important is the revenue right now. Um, So let me me just say, would would your answer be not now, but maybe in the future? 
yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly it. I think you have to I think you have to kind of build up to the point where you would be able to get people enough people that would be willing to pay for a rugby only service or a right. rugby only service. But even I know we'll kind of dive into it a little bit later, but maybe that's something that you gotta wait till like there's like a full blown like academy system and then you can pay for like two leagues worth of games essentially. Um right. like mega and right. more more rugby more, yeah, exactly. more valuable uh, uh, product for people to buy into. I get that. So yeah. What we're going to do here is we're going to go once around the table and to sum up this round, I want you to be able to tell me short-term goal, what can the MLR do to be able to better their revenue streams and long-term, what should we, they be aiming for? Again, we start where we began this round. Rob, tell us what you got. Yeah, I think it's uh, 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 national partners and then working with uh, the teams themselves to develop local partnerships and finding a way in which they can advertise not only, you know, field rights for national partners, but also for local partners. Find out, Derek talked about the great example of the, the injury list. That's a good example, but they can do other things like that to bring in local partners. And that dovetails right there into the uh, providing packages, you know, uh, working with uh, local establishments, whether it be, you know, um, um, okay. you know, casinos and, and gaming establishments, things so like that. That would that. be the long term, you're saying? Well, no, I think it's immediate. You you have yeah. to develop and start with these partnerships right away, national partnerships that have a natural right. inclination towards rugby, whether it's a beer partnership right. or a nutrition partnership or something so let's, like that. Let's fast forward five years. What should they have in place? Well, that sets you up nicely for your TV deals. When you have a national TV deal, now you have partners in place in which you're putting their logo and superimposing it in the middle of the the middle of the field, or you're putting a national, a national, now you've got a national partner that's on the middle of the Jersey. And then you've got your local sponsors that are on the sides or on the shorts or something of that nature. How do you feel about naming rights of the stadiums and teams? Every sports league does it. I think it's the way to go. I mean, if somebody's willing to, you know, if you're willing to put somebody, another company's name, corporation's name on your, on your, uh, like a Viva. You don't feel for it. Your soul. Not at all. Not at all. Show me the money, right? It's a, it's a business. I mean, ultimately, you're running a business, and you got to find a way yeah. to generate revenue. Understand? Completely agree. Swing it over to Scott. Tell us what you think: short term, long term. Well, I think short term they have to to get their TV production right first, and then that way the, the that way when you look at when somebody stumbles across it on ESPN Plus, like Derek was saying before, it looks good because right now I think some of the production is is not as good. Um, long term, I think it's national partners with with big sponsors. I mean, we see Honda, we see BMW. You know, New York should really be digging into that. They're a big market. I don't understand why they don't. Um, and my other question is, how come Rob got like another five minutes to talk? Well, you're talking now. Because I'm awesome. You're wasting your time. You know, you were like, oh, yeah, quick. What's the last word? And Rob talked for like seven minutes. <laughs> okay. You know what? Fair point. <laughs> you're going to get the whoa, cheese. Whoa, whoa. You got talked. To, you're going to give him the cheese because he's the one that talked you into this, it, sir. This ref is far too influenced. <laughs> Come on. Okay. So, Scott, uh, that's that's your final thought there on that round. So, let's hand it over to, uh, to Derek. Uh, short term, long term. Short and sweet. 
Yeah, I think uh, short term, you got to start to like identify what you can put a sponsor name logo on, like I said, injury reports. I think you can even do like men of the match awards, the first 15 when you throw that up on social media, um, first 15 of the week. I think that's something that you can also start to basically figure out what you can slap a logo on and start reaching out to the people that would would be. So it's a series of micro sponsorships right now in the absence of one large title sponsor. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I think you got to like start kind of start with some small ones, figure out what people, what, like what's going to align with your brand. Like I said, injury report, physiotherapy company, that makes sense. Um, and then you can develop that and be like, once I think once people see too that somebody else is willing to spend money on that sponsorship, it'll make people more inclined to spend money on that spot on a similar sponsorship or something. And hopefully you got to start with the small names and then maybe you can build up to some of the bigger names. Exactly. Yeah. Build credibility for your brand as well to be able to say, Hey, I got 40 sponsors on board. You know, that's just as much merit in that than saying you got one large sponsor. At the end of the day, if it all adds up to what you need and it's enough money to be able to do what you do, who cares where it comes from right now as long as it works within your brand and within your model and it personifies what you do as a club. So, gentlemen, I think ultimately we all agree sponsorship is probably going to be the leading way for them to be able to generate more revenue and it has the greatest upside uh, as the years go by and the league gets stronger. So thank you all for your contribution. Let's take a break and to be able to share some words from our sponsors, well, hand it over to them. Welcome back, Rugby Rant fans. Of course, this is the podcast where we put our team to the test to battle it out in our rugby debate episode. And on the Rugby Rant, we have Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Verara, and of course, Derek Bressett from the LaRouge podcast team. And they are here to be able to talk on this segment about the new schedule and the academies that are linked to the MLR. So there's obviously great pathways. We're here to learn a little bit more about who they are, what they do, and what will come from this remainder of 2020, right? Obviously, it's been an interesting year, gentlemen. So let's find out what we can learn. And uh, on behalf of, uh, of the LaRouge podcast team, let's go ahead and offer it to Derek. Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, kind of, I guess, coming out of COVID a little bit here. So we're actually uh, getting back to play rugby. And I mean, I think we can probably have a little bit of a debate on, you know, whether it's the right time to come back now. But regardless, we are coming back. Um, So we got, you know, Pathway 404 from Rugby ATL, the Warriors Selects, um, as well as NOLA, NOLA's Academy, uh, Rugby HTX in Houston as well. Um, They're all going to be playing games over the month of October, many of them against each other, many of them against other teams like the Warriors have to are playing Northeast Academy, Legacy Rugby, teams like that as well. Um, And honestly, like it's I I love that there's so many MLR teams that are setting up academies um, because I think as the quality of the leagues gets better, I think in maybe in five or 10 years, I think you're going to need a step in between university collegiate rugby and MLR. Mm -hmm. I think that jump is going to be a little too big. I think it might already be too big, but I think it's nice to see all these teams as well as like the arrows, the free Jack San Diego Legion that all have the academies. Um, And I think it's great to see that 
they're kind of laying the groundwork for a full out like academy schedule and stuff because as the league gets better that gap between university collegiate rugby is going to start to get a lot bigger as well and i think with you know you see it in leagues like the nhl or baseball um even the, the nba has the g league there's always there's a step in between and it keeps all those guys that maybe can't quite make it pro right away it keeps them in the professional environment and it gives them a chance to grow up to that level and uh, develop their own game in order to play there. Yeah. Um, so you spoke about, you know, that gap when you, when you go from a college to, to, uh, to the MLR, right? I mean, obviously the college draft was hosted for the first time this year and to, to most people's opinion was a success, but as a player, you can't expect many of these boys to be game ready for an MLR team. So yes, they do need somewhere else to be able to hone their skills. They do need somewhere else to practice. They do need that middle ground. So yeah, excellent point there. I love that one. Uh, let's hand it over to, uh, to Scott to be able to share what he has uh, in mind. Well, we're staying hot today. And I think one of the things is I want to dive into what um, Houston's doing with HTX. Grant Cole, who's part of that organization, came out and uh, and he was saying that they're having all of their um, player participants in the HTX going through at least level 200 of coaching and refereeing. Two, two good things with that. One, obviously it gets the player to understand what what could be happening, what, what life after rugby uh, might, you know, might be out there for them, whether it's just if they want to coach a youth team, if they want to get into the MLR to coach, if they want to coach somewhere else, if they want to get to the USA pathway. The second thing, and I think this is the, the biggest thing for me is that it then you can then have a play, a, a, a player go and coach a youth team representing an MLR team during an off season going and being a certain level of referee and and being the Houston Sabercats representative and teaching uh level 100 if you're a 2 or a 3 you know so i think it's it's it goes back into uh basic marketing and how we can give back to that grassroots community and i think that what they're doing at the HTX by not just building the rugby portion but building the overall athlete um is what we need to do in, in a model i think every MLR team should go by Excellent round for uh, for Scott. So a couple of things, yeah. Good points scored, by the way. So I want to kind of revisit some of those points. So first thing is, as you said, okay, rugby players that are going to be a part of their programs are going to be educated in rugby itself. So they get their level 200. Now they have the ability to be able to share that with the next generation with the level 100. I love that point, right? But in addition, you know, something that was brought out uh, in a much, much earlier episode of our uh, podcast, when we had Larry Monks on board, he spoke about one of the critical elements is that you need people who are educated in rugby to share that game. So yes, it kind of, you know, ties into your point that you, you brought up now, Scott, that, you know, if you want to bring it into, to youth rugby, you need people to participate and who are qualified, A, and have the passion, B, and C, have the time. Right. So these are things that can all be achieved when you're using your existing network of players and using that player pool. And then on top of that is the marketing element that you uh, pointed out as well. So it's multi-layered. It's success is, is, is uh, threefold in my opinion. Great points. Great round for Scott. Let's hand it over to Rob. 
So I think we've completely skipped over one of the most important things about this October schedule for the developing programs. It's that this provides a great barometer for the MLR teams coming out of COVID. Uh, I think Derek talked about the fact that Utah is going to be having fans. I would almost guarantee that NOLA and Atlanta are going to be having fans, given what's happening in those states politically. So it'll give us a great idea, and the team's a great idea, and the league itself a great idea to see how rugby will look coming out of COVID and how the the season might look starting in April. And it also might allow them an opportunity a little bit as clubs. How are we going to get fans in the stadium given what we now know uh, based upon this little shortened schedule? The other thing that I like about this is, uh, and Derek hit upon it, I think it, it has tremendous potential immediately, but also moving beyond that. They had some like 450 uh, or 250 players enter the MLR draft. Now, all those guys are not going to be able to play in the MLR. Certainly a lot of them will be able to play in the developmental programs. And what's intriguing about that is that, A, these programs allow an opportunity for athletes that, that maybe played football or basketball or some other sports that came to rugby late to develop their skills and potentially be really strong players that could fit into um, one of the teams. And it also allows some of the guys that are perhaps late bloomers that have been playing rugby for a bit, but physically they haven't developed as much. It gives them a little bit more opportunity to develop. I mean, you should see pictures of Cam Dolan, what he looked like when he was in, when he was at life. He was not a physical specimen that he is now. So it, it allows those guys to physically develop and then get into the league. Yeah. You know what? I, I just want to interrupt real quick. I have a question for Rob. We talk about rugby tribalism in the club rugby. Do you think if every MLR team, obviously they come out with their academy system, do you think there'll be guys who will be able to cross over and go state to state and say, hey, I'm from the Northeast. I want to move down to Texas and, and, and try for the AG's academy. And do you think that'll give them a better shot instead of going down, moving to Austin and trying to break in on the, on the D1 seat? Um, well, absolutely. First of all, I think these coaches will talk. You know, I, I think that's one of the first steps. I mean, you know, um, one of the reasons that some of the guys that got signed by teams, you know, on associate contracts got picked up and signed because they had familiarity with some of the coaching staff. And I think that a lot of the college coaches talk, they can make recommendations to other to other teams. So I think within the academy structure, um, I don't think it promotes tribalism. I think as a matter of fact, it might promote an opportunity. Hey, we've got a lot of props, right? At at you know at, at Rooney. But you know who needs props? OG. You know, they need props. Right. That might be a good place to to hone your skills and get an opportunity to maybe break into it. What I do like, uh, circling back around to a couple of your points, again, good round. Um, you had brought up the MLR draft and those players, 250 or so of them, I think is the number you said. Yeah. Not everybody's going to find a place. Not everybody's going to get picked. That's the nature of the draft. That's what also makes it exciting uh, that you get your, your pick of the litter, right? However, what happens to those players if they are graduating out of university, where do they go? Do they go to a D1 side locally? Yes, that's an option. That's the traditional option at least. But at least this can provide another way for them to have that pathway to professional rugby. So is it the best way? Who knows right now, right? Here's but what I know. I, you know, we made contact with a lot of players coming out of college, and there were a couple kids that, as I made contact with them, came back to me and said, hey, I didn't get drafted. What do you think? Where do you think I should go? Where do you think I might right. get in? Well, now we see 
uh, where the opportunities lie, given that right. the MLR is putting emphasis. The other point that I wrote down over here that I thought was interesting is, um, so yes, rugby is going to look different. Uh, all sports are going to look different. But at least now, if you have some states that have the ability to return to play, obviously every state is, is an entirely different scenario. So we can't you know, take the rules from one and apply it to another. But in Utah's case, uh, they have the ability to be able to host matches with fans that they are selling tickets for. So you can also generate some revenue to be able to fund that very same team. Uh, but in addition to that, you have a trial opportunity, as you so pointed out, to be able to figure out, okay, what are the pains about this? How do we get people together? How do we, uh, you know, uh, get the teams to be able to uh, to practice in the safest way? So, yes, it can allow you to get through some of these trials and tribulations before you move into the MLR season and you're doing it for real with no practice and nothing to draw upon as experience. So I liked that point a, a lot. So let's uh, go around the table here, gentlemen. And uh, I wanted to be able to get your final thoughts on what you believe is good about these academy systems as they stand. And if we fast forward, where can they be uh, two, three, five years from now? So let's start it again with Derek. Well, um, I think, yeah, like you said, it's like what you guys are kind of touching on, it's like if you have the more academy teams, it's more professional or teams that are in professional setups, even if maybe the money isn't, you know, necessarily there to actually pay players and stuff or however they decide to do it. But it gives guys that have that desire and have that ability to play at the high level. It gives them more of an opportunity to actually do it by having more teams. Right. As like, you know, for a lot of places that, you know, in the first couple of years of MLR, it was like, OK, cool. You either are playing in MLR or you're not playing pro rugby in any capacity at all and maybe you're doing other things and i think like i said i think that gap is going to become a lot wider um as the league gets a lot better and stuff so you're going to need that step in between the college university Mm -hmm. level Mm -hmm. um, to go to the game and i think if you're talking like from my point of view what i would like to see if you're going like long term right now is literally like a like a minor league um have okay all 13 or 14 or 16 or however many teams we supporting an academy level down program. The yeah. Yeah, exactly. And have like every, every team has, you know, they're an academy program that can, that can feed up into and like, right. So we're going to keep going. And most draft. academies, at least I think for the Utah, they take ages from 12 up to 25. So yeah, awesome. you're talking about players that are graduating out of the system. They're going to be at 25 should come out of that with a lot more game time. So I think the important thing is what you're talking about is give them competition. Right now, they have the, the ability to set up these programs. They have the players. That's not a question a- at all. It's about creating a level of competition for them to participate at that and get better doing it. Absolutely. So and I like that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I also think it's like, you know, if the draft gets bigger and better, because obviously, you know, rugby rosters are pretty decently sized, right? You can probably do more than two rounds if the talent pool is getting better. But you also need a place to put those guys, right? Right. Um, so if you have that academy program and it's widely set up throughout the league, that could be an easy thing. and be like, you know, our, say our second or our third round picks not quite good enough to play in Major League Rugby yet, but we can put them on our academy team, still monitor his training the whole way through. And then eventually mm-hmm. bring them up to the big level. Quick follow up, and we don't want to dwell on this one much longer. But I, I just wanted to be able to ask you again. You mentioned a, so to speak, a minor league uh, version of rugby in the U.S. So, are you? Would you suggest it become the minor league rugby? And so, in other words, it moves even beyond the academy level player, and it includes 
basically your second team for each club, kind of like Northampton has the Saints and then they have the Wanderers. So is that what you're suggesting or are you suggesting that each team have an academy program that they can compete against each other as a league? Yeah, like I think, well, I would, yeah, I would want all of them to be competing against each other as a league and stuff. Obviously, if, you know, a lot of these academies are going through, like you said, like from the age of 12 moving up. So maybe you have to have it separated a little bit. But yeah, ultimately, I would love to see like some form of minor league rugby where it's just, you know, it still gives you the opportunity to play professional, but it gives the guys that aren't quite good enough for the MLR. But I mean realistically what's that going to be like 10 15 20 years down the road before that's even like a fathomable before it can be sustainable itself yeah yeah, but you you your question that you did ask was the long term and i think yeah long term i think and you gave me a good decent time frame i mean if you're thinking really big picture you know 10 15 years once the league is itself is in a much better self-sustainable manner and obviously uh can hold itself up, then yes, that would be an option. But hopefully even before that with the academies. Let's hand it over to uh, to Scott to hear his final thoughts uh, on that one, please. Yeah, I think the uh, the academy systems, it's a, it's a two parts, like Derek said. You have maybe the senior side who's really going to be the minor league for the MLR. And then you have the youth side who who's going to try and pick up that grassroots stuff that USAR can't do right now. And I think that's the biggest thing. I think the, once they get the senior side straightened out, they're going to dr- uh, drip down and work on those youth sides. And I think once those those teams take over those youth sides on, on the academy side, you're going to see more registration. You're going to see more youth rugby. Excellent. Rob? Development, development, development. And I talk about this in two ways. Number one, remember that most of your colleges, at least in the United States, aren't even close to a professional setup. There's probably about 10 to 15 teams that actually do five days a week training, that have a weights program, that work with a weight coach, that have a, you know, a strength and conditioning coach that have that pro setup. Um, and, and we've identified what those programs are. But what about those other schools where you have really good athletes um, that haven't been exposed to that? The, the, the academy system allows them to take that step towards professionalism and to get exposure to those elements of professionalism. And that includes mental skills training, too. Some of these guys probably haven't had an opportunity to develop there. Well, here's an opportunity for them to develop their skills in the field, to develop the training, to develop their whole game and do so in a relatively low, low pressure environment all with the intent of developing their rugby. Right. Potentially you reminded me talking about mental skills. In fact, if you haven't heard about the, uh, the, uh, the athletic collective with Pete Steinberg, who we just recently had as a guest on our run parcel kick interview, uh, check out what he's doing. He's offering a free MLR web seminar on uh, mental skills developing in off season. So go and check that out. But yes, it is a good point. One point I want to be able to return to that I didn't actually mention before that I want to circle back around to that you offered Rob was uh, what if you are a late bloomer in rugby, right? What if you only took up the game? Like most people, I think, for, for, for most of you, um, you know, for me, it was different in, in, in South Africa. I've been playing since I was seven, but for the for other people, it might only be you picked it up in college. And even if you did, maybe you did it late as well. You know, where do they go when they've only just started to be able to uh, enjoy the game, but show promise, but then aren't eligible for the MLR draft? Um, so, yeah, that's a, a, another point that I wanted to give you that I should have given you before that you got now. <laughs> so gentlemen I, I think i'm in a converted try so far <laughs> yeah you yeah, have certainly made up some ground that's for sure 
Uh, all he's done is he's turned some minutes. That's that's about it. That's all he's good for is, is just running just, down uh, those minutes. So you're just clock because yeah. I've stolen your thunder. Uh, your your thunder. That's normally your mo, Scott. Well, you know what comes before the thunder is a heat wave, and it's hot. <laughs> Let's get hot, baby. So, gentlemen, once again, thank you for sharing your points of view when it comes to this about the academies, how to develop them, what is the value that they have right now, and where could it be in the future. So we need to be able to, as per usual, now that we have two rants that have been completed, find out who is our winner. And uh, before we do that, I'd like to be able to remind all our viewers that if you've enjoyed this episode of the Rugby Rant podcast show, you can listen to it as well by following us on your favorite podcast providers. We are available on Google, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, Apple. So you can find us in most places where you want to listen to your podcast and you'll find us under the Rugby Rant pod. So make sure you look out for those. They drop the day after this episode of here. In fact, uh, be the same, right? Say again. Rate rate us five stars, people. Rate us five stars. Rate us five stars. Again, that helps. Uh, It may seem like it doesn't, but it does. The first uh, smart thing you said all day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You get the bonus point? (laughs) Exactly. So I get the bonus point. Correct. So talking about the points, gentlemen, I tried a slightly new system here, and I think it's worked out well for me, but it has not worked out well for Derek. (laughs) (laughs) So. Derek, we love you, but you're out, man. <laughs> it wasn't far behind, um, but, you know, I'm going to say it obviously comes between Rob and Scott. Rob, I did give you an additional point right at the end, but you still fell one short of Scott. So Scott is oh, our winner. Baby. As you know. The it points mean so nothing. Good. The win means nothing except for the bragging rights, and it seems more valuable is, right now. He, is he giving you, you know, a, a suitcase full of money or what? Because this is uh, this streak is ridiculous. And no, and but he did. Quite frankly, I totaled up my points. I had seven. I counted seven for me and none for a one for him. Sorry, he got one. Yes, so. but you also had a yellow card. Yeah, that he talked you into. Is this called the rugby rant or is this the rugby trilogy? Because you just keep talking and talking and talking. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> the rugby saga. Brought Maybe you I should just announce that I'm going to talk, which is what you normally do. You know what? Um, if I'm going to break the rule, I'm going to tell the serve beforehand, by the way, I'm breaking the rule and then I'm going to do it. That's how it is in rugby. Okay. Let's say, I mean, an admission of guilt, like That's almost right, like, oh, that. he's actually genuine. <laughs> <laughs> so Derek, Before we go, I wanted to give you the floor to be able to share a message with any of your friends and family and any of your listeners. Tell us what's up next for you, and uh, the floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, I know uh, Ty apparently didn't like what I had to say today, but if uh, if you enjoyed, (laughs) you can listen to more of my thoughts on Major League Rugby um, on the uh, La Rouge Rugby podcast. We're gonna have a couple more Arrows players on for interviews during uh, the next couple of weeks, Um, so you can follow us anywhere at La Rouge Rugby. And um, also, if you want to check out anything that I write too, it's on uh, at LaymanSports.com as well. Excellent. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. And uh, we'll make sure that we uh, give everybody a, a tag of you in the post and everything else. But folks, uh, you know, what we do over here, we do it out of a pure joy. I hope that you can see that. We love what we do. And we hope that you love um, the game just as much as we do. We're all doing our small little portion to be able to help it to grow. Here on the Rugby Rant podcast, you can also help us grow by liking, balls. following, and sharing us. Yes, because we got balls. Uh, (laughs) So once again, from myself, 
Ty Braga, your host of the Rugby Round, alongside Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and on behalf of Derek Preston, thank you for watching the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.